Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Passing Build Back Better before Thanksgiving. You are not elected to radically change America, period. The rising cost of inflation. The Democrats' answer? To spend trillions more. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. I think it's time that you resign. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views. Tom and Benny got a good program lined up for you. Uh, Senator Jim Perry is going to be joining us in a little bit, talking about budget and redistricting. Uh, got copies of the new maps in front of us, and uh, eh, they've done a pretty good job. We'll talk to him about that. The uh, situation in New Jersey as we speak, the Associated Press yesterday called the race for Phil Murphy. Jack Citarelli is not too happy about it. His uh, campaign manager said, this is totally irresponsible. We've got the the difference in the votes. Some 2 million votes cast, and the difference is less than 1%. Wow. And uh, they're saying, you know, this is ridiculous. By the way, there was also, you know, and I suppose it's interesting when you find cases of fraud, uh, you know, it's if it's, it's rare that you see the the Democrats getting shortchanged. There are two videos on the Gateway Pundits today, videos of people actually voting with their phone. The nice thing about these smartphones is you can take videos anywhere. Everybody's got a camera in their hand. And it shows how people trying to vote for Citarelli couldn't vote. They'd go to press the button and wouldn't wouldn't click. <laughs> they tried it over and over again. Now, maybe that was too... Luke accidents, but uh, nonetheless, it's still going on. You don't see any Democrats. No, you don't that. see it the other way around. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. If it was, <laughs> it'd make national news if someone couldn't cast a vote for uh, the Democrat. University of North Carolina Wilmington, congratulations for wasting money. They paid the sixteen nineteen project fictional author Nicole Hannah Jones sixteen thousand six hundred seventy dollars to speak. For 55 minutes. Actually, she spoke for about 40 minutes and then uh, had a Q&A for 15, 20 minutes. $16,670 plus two nights accommodations, airfare, transportation, meals. Uh, it, it's now, And they're, they're so happy because it didn't come out of the student funds. Mm. It came out of donations from <laughs> alumni. So listen, you always get, you know, wherever you graduate from school, you, you get those calls two or three times a year. Please donate. If you're a UNC grad from any of the places, it's just say, I mean, you, next time they call for a donation, tell them to, well, I'll keep it PG. Tell them no. You know, all, all the universities have these lecture series, and, and oftentimes, I think all the time, they're pretty much, they're, they're sponsored by donors. Right. But, I mean, ECU's got one come up here. And um, just think if I, if I was a donor and I say, hey, I'm going to fund this lecture series, and my first guest is uh, Ben Shapiro. Yeah. My second guest is uh, Jason Whitlock. My third guest— Oh, I'm going to go that one. My third guest is Ben Carson, and maybe my fourth lecture is uh, the new lieutenant governor for Virginia. There you go. (laughs) What do you think the response would be? I'd sign up. (laughs) <laughs> but but really, no. what do you think the universe's yeah. response would be Fat if chance. I fully funded that? Fat chance. That, well, yeah, even if you fully funded it. Yeah. You might get one of the men. But, <clears> um, I, I, <laughs> I doubt it. 
<laughs> well, because they, you know, it's that, that's their definition of balance. Fair and balance is they have twenty of theirs, and you get one of yours. Well, here you go. Coming up, I mean, while we're on this topic, coming up in, uh, I think, less than two weeks, at ECU in their lecture series, they have the young lady. I can't recall her name, but she is the uh, black female journalist at the White House press corps that's with uh, NPR. Oh, the. Um are you talking about April? Uh, what's her name? I can't remember, but she's the one that is she. Uh, she is she now working for the White House? She's no. She works. She's works for uh, NPR. NPR or or uh, PBS or something. But she's the one that just constantly was all over yeah, Donald Trump. I know who you're talking about okay. Ro- Robin somebody. Anyway, yeah. she's speaking at ECU, and the topic is honesty in journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't make it up. <laughs> oh boy. Mm. The North Carolina Labor Commissioner, Josh Dobson, who's a Republican, uh, he is taking on the Biden administration. Can, go Way to go, Josh. I love it. Republican Josh Dobson sent out a letter today critical of the requirements saying that it will further strain existing resources within the Occupational Safety and Health Division by this Biden administration mandate the companies with over 100 employees require vaccinations for employees or get tested weekly. Isn't that supposed to take place uh, January 4th, I think, is the deadline? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, He says, with limited time and resources, our OSH compliance officers typically focus on high-hazard industries such as construction and manufacturing. Since March of 2020, our staff has been overwhelmed by nearly 5,000 COVID complaints and even more complaints recently related to the June ETS for healthcare, adding enforcement of this vaccine ETS to the OSH division's workload without any additional federal funding or compliance officers will further impede our ability to achieve our core mission responsibilities. Our compliance officers should be spending the time working with employers to prevent injuries, illnesses, fatalities at construction sites and manufacturing facilities rather than knocking on doors to check on employers' vaccination records, Dobson writes. Under federal rules, North Carolina Department of Labor must respond to federal OSHA within 15 days regarding the agency's decision on ad- decisions on adoption of the ETS. At this point, we receive, um, we are reviewing the text of the rule and its potential impact on our state employers. And uh, anyway, he is pushing back on Biden's <coughs> mandate, which is supposed to kick in come uh, January the 4th. Way to go, Josh. Uh, what's interesting about this, though, on Tuesday, Ron Johnson, who uh, represents Wisconsin, he held a panel to discuss vaccine mandates and vaccine injuries. Uh, this is cut one, Clark. Army Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, a brigadier surgeon for the 1st Aviation Brigade in uh, Fort Rucker, Alabama, shared details about not only what she saw happening to some pilots after taking the vaccine, but how she was treated after she reported on what she saw. Cut one. With respect to aviation safety, risk communication is critical. I saw five patients in clinic, two of which presented with chest pain days to weeks after vaccination and were subsequently diagnosed with pericarditis and worked up to rule out myocarditis. The third pilot had been vaccinated and felt like he was drunk, chronically fatigued within 24 hours after vaccination. The pilot told me he didn't know what to do, so he drank a lot of coffee to try and, quote, wake himself up. 
and continued to fly until he realized it wasn't going away. After I reported to my command, my concerns that in one morning I had to ground three out of three pilots due to vaccine injuries. The next day, my patient, patients were canceled. My charts were pulled for review and I was told that I would not be seeing acute patients anymore, just healthy pilots there for their flight physical. Nothing to see here. No, no, it not, it's not going on. It's not happening. <laughs> Ron Johnson, in his remarks, uh, he pointed out the number of people who have had adverse reactions to the vaccine and who have died from the vaccine as compared to what a normal flu season would uh, entail. Here's cut two. But if you just compare the adverse events for the standard flu vaccine versus COVID, you can see that there's something happening here, something that needs to be acknowledged, something that the Walensky's and the Fauci's and the Woodcock's, the President Biden ought to be concerned about. And so if you look over the last 25 and three quarters years with the flu vaccine, on average, there have been 7,596 adverse events per year, per year. In 10 months with the COVID vaccine, we're up to 837,595. This is a chart from last week. These are update numbers. On average, the number of deaths reported on VAERS for the flu vaccine is 78 per year, 78. The updated figures today are 17,619. That is 225 times the number of deaths in just a 10-month period versus an annual figure for the flu vaccine. These vaccine injuries, vaccine injuries are real. And as the individual Green Bay Packers star Ken Ruckers, who introduced me to Bree and her group, as he stated in that meeting in June, vaccine injuries are rare and mild until one happens to you or your loved one. You know, if there's just a few hundred deaths from the flu vaccine, they pull it off the market. Did you hear that number? Yeah. The number of people who have died from being vaccinated, 17,619, that is 225 times, 225 times the number of people who die annually from the flu vaccine. 837,595 people have had an adverse reaction to the vaccine. Yeah, and that's not exactly being reported. And whenever no. it's talked about, I've been keeping up with this. That's a lot more than last time I looked, but uh, I've been keeping up with it. And when I mention it, I mean, the majority of people's like, you're getting this. This is fake news. You're reading these web websites like, no, I'm, no, I'm yeah. not. I'm getting the information that's there, but it's, um, it's sure isn't being talked about. Anthony Fauci got his bell rung again today by Rand Paul. Down goes Fauci. Down goes Fauci. <laughs> uh, uh, Rand just backed him into a corner, and uh, here's how it sounded. But if you just compare no, this the is, adverse uh, cut three. Event. Cut three. All right. I'll tell you what. Let's take a time out because when we get back, we're going to be joined by Jim Perry. We'll get back to that audio clip uh, after we talk to Jim Perry. The budget and uh, some redistricting maps and more. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, hey. 
hey, did you hear about this? We won this day. Democrats should listen to the voters. This happened. Talking about Brandon. Biden. Brandon administration. Are you ready for this? Five 11-year-old. Kids could start getting shots. What about this? The rising cost of inflation. This is government gone wild. What about this? That's what's at stake right now. Because this is life, and this is Eastern Carolina's place to talk. Every day at 5 o'clock with Tom and Benny on News and Views. This, 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 this will be the moment. All right, welcome back in. It is 520. Senator Jim Perry, who represents Lenore and Wayne Counties, is the Senate Majority Whip, uh, Republican, of course. Jim is uh, always very gracious to come on with us, and uh, he is on the line with us right now. Jim, welcome back to News and Views. Hey, Jim. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. Hey, Benny. Um, listen, there's a lot to talk about, but first of all, let's get your reaction from uh, what happened Tuesday up in Virginia, and we still don't know for sure what's uh, happening in New Jersey. Murphy is ahead, but uh, Citarelli has not given up yet. But your thoughts on uh, what was a pretty nice day on t- uh, th- uh, Tuesday? Uh, I think pretty nice day is the, the understatement of the day, <laughs> maybe the year. Um, <laughs> No, great, great night in Virginia, and I, I, I think that forget about everyone who is enthralled by politics. Forget about you know people like us who read or study a lot, uh, and just think about the the average citizen. And uh, I think what you saw was a, a referendum on freedom. I mean, you yeah. you saw people who believe that um, government has has gone too far, and I, I think. You know, you, you learned a lot about uh, parents' thoughts on schools up there. Uh, you learned a lot about the, the freedoms that have been taken away from them and the way they're they're treated and disregarded. And uh, you saw an electric come out and uh, and and tell the left that they had gone too far. Can you relate to anything that has happened within your lifetime to equate what you saw on Tuesday? You know, I, I think that. Uh, if we think back to um, some big years in North Carolina, um, you know, 94 was a, a really right. good year. Contract with America. Yeah. yeah, 2010 was a, a big year. But in terms of just a, a point swing, you know, a Republican had not won a statewide, statewide race in Virginia since 2009. I mean, that that's a that's a long stretch. You know, and they, they talked about how the, the governor – used to bounce back and forth um, based on the presidential election, but all those other seats. And think about how blue Virginia had gotten and the craziness mm-hmm. we saw with gun laws and, and attacks on the Second Amendment up there. And, uh, you know, the, the American people are a great barometer um, and a, a great indicator. It, we, we say Virginia is the carry canary in the coal mine. And uh, I, I think those frustrations will continue to be reflected uh, around the country in what we see because they, they've just gone too far. You know, and the, the American people pull it back towards the center. They, they don't like extremes, and we've certainly seen extreme, extremism up there. So you think Kamala Harris got it right, that uh, th- this is a precursor to 2022, 2024? <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, uh, Rarely find myself agreeing <laughs> with the vice president, but we are we are solidly aligned on this. I I think it could be a, a watershed year uh, for conservatives. I also think that we have to take lessons from Virginia, 
and we have to think about what governance really means. And, and you know, sometimes I, I have to be cautious not to confuse what the average North Carolinian uh, may want, or even average conservative with some of the, the thoughts that I have. Uh, because at, at the end of the day, um, we can't win statewide elections in this state with the Republican vote. Right. It's impossible. Right. You know, it, it's a you know, it's just it's math. And we, we have to remember that, you know, the, the platform and, and ideals that that we believe in, um, buddy, they're, they're strong enough to to I'm not going to say sell themselves, but just good common sense things like personal responsibility, fiscal responsibility, um, freedom, you know, freedom. The, the average person really does just want to be left alone. Right. We don't want a lot of government intrusion in our life. We don't want a lot of things from government. We, we know if, if government can give it to us, it can take it away. And I, I think that's what we have to remember is to continue to be fiscally responsible and be the adults in the room. And, and uh, we have two very important elections coming up in this state. You know, we've got a lot of important elections. But I, I think for, for my children's sake and what we look like for the next decade, uh, we can't talk enough about those two Supreme Court seats here in North Carolina, um, the Court of Appeals. You know, all, all judges are important, and I think people are starting to see and understand. You know, I, I'll receive communication from folks who are really frustrated about something going on, and they'll say, why doesn't, you know, this is unconstitutional. Why doesn't the General Assembly do something? And I, you know, I, I try to be patient and just walk them through what, separation of powers means and that if something is thought to be unconstitutional the remedy for that the path is through the courts right. general assembly can't do anything about it uh, uh, we we make law we don't we don't enforce law l- let me ask you since you brought it up and i do want to get to redistricting and, and the budget but uh, this, this whole controversy with uh, members of the north carolina supreme court wanting the Republicans to recuse themselves when it comes to voter ID, I, 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 that that's incomprehensible. I, I just think that's total malfeasance on their part. I, I mean, am I wrong there? I, I'm with you. I, I was um, shocked that they even asked for a brief on something that they're there is no legal basis for doing something like that. In fact, we had three. Uh, former Supreme Court justices who penned an opinion, two Democrats, one Republican. Uh, one actually happens to be from Greene County, um, former Chief Justice Exum. And, you know, they all agreed that uh, when it comes to recusal by a Supreme Court justice, there is only uh, one individual who knows whether or not they are biased, and that is a judge. If we begin to allow this type of, of gamesmanship where things are brought into question and, you know, I can remove you just because I, I want to or I think you're biased and I'm a judge, um, it it pushes deeper into partisan politics. That's not the way the system's intended. It is a bad idea. It's a bad precedent. Much like when you, you remember when Harry Reid led the Senate to do away with cloture. Right. And uh, he was uh, McConnell told him that, you know, they would regret that day sooner rather than later. And then because they took that step, President Trump names three Supreme Court justices. Well, 
anytime you create a weapon, you, you better believe someone else is going to hold it at some point. Yep. And, you know, the courts need to be uh, above this mess. It's, it's absurd. It's not based. We, we hear a lot now that we live in a post-legal world, meaning that, you know, it's not about the law anymore. Everyone's sort of making things up on the fly. And there is no basis for those justices to be removed by other justices. You know, if, if that starts, what prevents the House from impeaching uh, a judge or uh, anyone for that matter? Because our, our, you know, I think the Constitution is pretty clear. A person has to step down until those charges are resolved. Well, and in fact, you know, uh, there was there was an article, Jim, uh, recently, I think it was in the Carolina Journal, that talked about that very thing, that, mm-hmm. that the nuclear option for to to undo what these judges have proposed would be to impeach those Democrat judges. Now, I don't think it's a good idea for the Republicans to go there, but if they forced them into a, a corner, that would be an option. Let, let's, let's hope that they do the right thing and we never have this conversation because the things we're talking about that stem from frustration, brother, you you want to talk about a canary in a coal mine that leads to the fall of a society. Yeah. It's anarchy. You abandon all rule and and it's, you're spiraling down. Um, but you know, how, how much can the people take? How much should they take? You know, when the other guy's not not playing fair, it's it's hard to think about fairness. All right, you have you have a civilized society, a civilization in general, with a rule of law, with a constitution like we got, and a rule of law. And I mean, historically, you look back centuries; those that do not have that collapse, collapse. Well, and and again, yeah. going back to Tuesday, the New York Post had an article today just talking about how so many of these. Uh, uh, races across the country, you know, from Seattle to Long Island, the DAs that were elected, the you know, the vote on um, defunding the police in Minnesota, people voted against anarchy on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Well, I and think I, I, I think that continues. Yeah, I think the important important point that you just made, Jim, was the fact that those three former Supreme Court justices from North Carolina are very well respected. And two were Democrats, one Republicans, saying yeah. this is unconstitutional. Yeah. Yeah. If that doesn't tell you where, where they need to go with this, uh, I don't know what does. Let's change yeah. gears just no a little basis bit. basis in oh. law. Nope. Yes, absolutely. Let's, let's uh, talk about uh, budget and uh, redistricting, if we can. Um, first of all, uh, do we have a budget that uh, the governor will sign? So where we are now, the, the Senate and the House have both uh, put forward a version, and then they get together to work on a conference committee report, which is, you know, think of that just sort of like shuffling the deck back together after you've divided it into. And uh, the House and the Senate have agreement on what they would do, and they, uh, our leadership and um, some other members have from time to time met with the governor or, or his designees to try to try to find some common ground. You know, you would think with all of this money, uh, we would be able to, to find some common ground and people could be uh, reasonable. And I, I'm not pointing fingers anywhere. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> there are two kinds of problems to have, I guess. One is not having enough money and the second might be having too much. Uh, one-time money, though, not not recurring dollars. We've got a ton of one-time money. Uh, 
Uh, where we are now is I, I think we're, you know, very still very far apart with the governor. And uh, Speaker Moore has made some public comments about, you know, at some point we have to move forward with a legislative budget. And that is, you know, that's really what the budget is anyway. It's where lawmakers get together and agree. In that instance, uh, I believe he is referencing we have to have enough Democratic support uh, if we can't reach an agreement with the governor, we've got to be able to reach an agreement with some Democrats and say, you know what, this isn't perfect, but this is good enough. We've been here long enough. We've been here too long. And uh, it's time to call no joy on negotiations with the governor. And we will let him know that this budget will become law. Uh, and we, we'd like for him to, uh, to be part of it, but it's going to become law with or without so let me let me uh, uh, interpret or, or bluntly respond back to what you just said. In other words, if I'm reading you right, you're saying it's more likely that we get a veto-proof budget rather than a budget that the governor will sign. Am I correct? That 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 would be where I think this would go. Okay, I, I just haven't seen enough progress in conversations with the governor. Um. But, you know, you don't start working on a veto override during the budget process. Uh, I will, you know, I'm the whip. So I'll tell you, I started working on that 18 months ago. How, 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 how strongly can you whip that whip? <laughs> <laughs> we will see. Well, um, we will see. Let me ask you a, a sub point. This uh, conversation, this ongoing conversation about Medicaid expansion and that some of the Republicans in the Senate w were, were willing to include Medicaid expansion. It sounds like the House just said no way. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that is not a part of the budget. Uh, that is not a part of the budget today. Um, you know, we, we have had conversations in the Senate. Uh, Senator Berger has had conversations with the governor about Medicaid expansion um, since the governor came into office. You know, that's that's not a new conversation. I think there are a couple of things that um, made Senator Berger think very deeply about it. Uh, one is there are a number of provisions that, that we would like to see, uh, one of which is you know, I, I I believe that we need uh, separation of powers, and the governor has committed overreach. And I'd like to see the Emergency Powers Act passed. Right. Uh, I would also like to see legislation that makes it illegal for collusive settlements to be reached. You know, if I'm named as a party in the lawsuit, I, I think you need to. I should have to agree. If I pass away, right. I've got three daughters. If I pass away and, and leave my state and two of my daughters can get together and cut one of them out, the other one out, that's wrong. Right. They should all three have to agree to that. And that, so I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see a nonpartisan board of elections. I'd like to see election law change. So, you know, I, I'm willing to sit down and talk about a lot of things as long as I get what I want to. Right now, <laughs> if, if all we're talking about is a one-sided conversation, then that's over. But a couple of things have happened. Um, I'm going to date you guys. I know you remember back in 1984 when the, the federal government passed, I think it was the Federal Highway Safety Act or whatever. They, they raised the national drinking age to 21. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, if you remember how they did it, they, they couldn't force people to raise the drinking age. So what they did, and it was a divided chamber. Ronald Reagan was president, Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House, and George H.W. Bush was president of the Senate. Uh, they passed a law that said if you didn't raise your highway uh, or your, your legal drinking age to 21, they would cut your funds for your highway trust fund by 5% the first year and 10% every year after. Uh, and then they got a lot of, quote, voluntary compliance. And that was challenged in courts, and the courts upheld it. Supreme Court said, yeah, it was okay. Well, when the Democrats passed the um, Affordable Care Act and tried to shove it down the throats of the states, they said at that time they were going to withhold all of your Medicaid money if you didn't do it. They're just not paying for any of your Medicaid. And the courts stopped that because they did what they do. They went too far. Mm-hmm. Now— in North Carolina, the federal portion, we, 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 the state pays about a third, and the feds pay about two-thirds of, of Medicaid for us. Uh, so the federal payment is about $10 billion. So if they cut our Medicaid payment by 10%, we'd have a $1 billion recurring hole in the budget. So they have a carrot and they have a stick. I, I know you are aware of the, the uh, reconciliation bill. They are contemplating just an all-out federal expansion of, of Medicaid. They'll pay for all of it, but it doesn't change the reimbursement rate we have today. So the reimbursement rate at you know 66 percent—that's I mentioned that was um, 10 billion dollars. If we expanded Medicaid, the reimbursement would go up to 90 percent, uh, be about a billion seven. We'd have about 500,000, 500 million worth of cost. So we could go, basically, the money we're taking out of state coffers today to pay for Medicaid, we could reduce it by $1 billion per year. So you're, you're talking about potentially a $2 billion swing just by manipulation at the, at the federal level. So they have the ability to expand Medicaid without us, let's not get anything for it like those provisions I mentioned. Um, Because I want to see the governor's powers uh, put in check where they're supposed to be. Um, They also have, you know, the the financial hammer that they can hit us with. If they had been smart, they would have gone that route instead of going away that the court said was, you know, not okay, not constitutional. So it it complicated the question, and it did make uh, members pause and think because I'm going to tell you, we, we hear every day so many people that say you've got to put this guy's emergency powers in check right. you've, you've got to do that this Us is included. tyranny find a way yeah find a way so you know we uh we have tough conversations and we we think through it um we're not there today but you don't you don't ever want to send a lawmaker anywhere that's not going to sit down and listen to all of the information and be willing to make the best decision they can um, for their, the people they represent. So, but it's not there today. I just wanted to give a little background information on why it was, you know, the conversation's been a little more complicated. Uh, Phil Berger still believes it's bad policy. You know, we, we have a, a shortage of positions in the rural areas, uh, dumping more patients in front of um, dumping, you know, healthy 24-year-old 6'4", 225 male in front of grandmama, um, that just 
doesn't make seem sense. to be the right thing yeah. to do. Yeah. No. Hey, let me let me switch gears because we only got about a minute or two left in this segment. But um, on the redistricting maps, I'm taking a look at uh, three different maps, the state house, the state senate, and uh, the congressional maps. First of all, kudos on keeping the—and by the way, I was talking to Senator Jim Perry. He's a member of the redistricting committee. Kudos on keeping so many, especially in the congressional and state Senate maps, keeping so many communities and counties whole. Thank you. I think there's only, what, 15 counties that were split in this uh, this map? Is that right, Jim? Very few. I I don't remember the exact number, at least stat pack. But, you know, most people don't— understand or know that the rules are different the laws different on what you do with congressional map and state maps and our, our state constitution requires that we keep counties whole whenever possible um but that's been a joke up to now this is the first time i mean yeah. in all honesty that's been ignored up to now so in the 80s they got really bad and in fact it was a um, a conservative from beaufort county who sued uh, over that, over the whole county provision, uh, Ashley Stevenson, um, to to make them start observing that whole county um, provision. So now we have to have equal population. We can go, you know, all Senate districts must be the same size within plus or minus 5%. Uh, they've got to touch each other. So if you group counties together, but uh, you can't just have we call it single point contiguity, meaning that you can't just touch it one place. They, they've got to be side by side. Uh, but people don't realize that the courts have dictated to us if if a single county can serve as a, a district, like Johnston County can be a Senate district now, or or um, Oslo County, we, we have to make that a one-county district. Then if there's two counties that fit together perfectly to form a district, we have to make that a district. And then it's three counties. So there's a, a process that we must go through. And if you, we started with a base map that was drawn by a group of data scientists out of Duke University. They, they have a computer algorithm that sorted them and said these are the optimal groupings. So, you know, a lot of that work was done by the base map. Um, what really bothers me is aggravating about today. And we used no uh, partisan data. We used no racial data. In the formation of this, this is population-driven. Um, but to, to hear the way it's approached, um, I I like some of my colleagues who happen to be Democrats. I respect them. Uh, intelligent people who have given a lot of time to the state. I resent the way they turn committee meetings into their own personal legal proceedings or depositions and the gamesmanship that goes on. Uh, that was not the intent of of the the founders uh that's not the way this is supposed to work uh but you know it it's all turned into litigation these days and it's very aggravating well good job on this unfortunately i'm reading a lot of articles it sounds like inevitably you're going to have some lawsuits you're going to have some people on the sidelines that uh, say they know how to do it better but uh stand fast senator jim perry hey we've got to go jim but thanks so much for uh, filling us in on both the budget and redistricting and uh, also on uh, last tuesday's election look forward to talking to you again yeah thanks for having me thanks guys. you, you have a great day. See you.
Hey, listen, uh, we're going to play a little political trivia when we get back. So give us a call, 561-8255. Political trivia when we get back. Your category, Gerald Ford. It's going to go quick, I promise you. 561-8255. Political trivia when we get back. Time for a little political trivia. Your category is Gerald Ford. Good prize package includes a free oil change for your car or pickup at Dave Davis's East Carolina Chrysler Dodge Jeep or at Washington Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. A gift certificate to the Ironwood Golf Course, a gift card to University PC Care, a $20 gift card to Gwendy's Goodies Bakery in Aden, a $20 gift card to Mucho Bueno down in the Westbrook Shopping Center, US 70 West in Havelock. A gift certificate from Fit for Life 24, including two free training sessions. Remember, if you or anyone in your immediate family have won recently, let 60 days pass before you play again. First up, it's Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Mitch, you with us? Okay. No, Mitch? Uh, Shall we try Al? Hey, Mitch, are you there? Uh, Yes, I'm here. Oh, there you are. There's Mitch. All right, you ready to play? I think so. Okay, here's your question. Category is Gerald Ford, President Gerald Ford. Question, Gerald Ford holds a unique distinction in his political career that cannot be said of any other politician. What is this unique distinction? And by the way, just I'll give you your first hint. It has nothing to do with being uh, attempted assassinations on his life, okay? <laughs> What do you think? What is this unique distinction? Oh, boy. <laughs> the only thing I remember about Gerald was that he played football. <laughs> yeah, you know, that was unique, too. I don't think he was the only one. In fact, didn't Ronald Reagan play football? I believe he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, G- Gerald Ford, of course, tripped down the steps, but that's not unique anymore because Joe Biden does that. Gerald Ford was an Eagle Scout as well. Oh, there you go. So, good guess, Mitch. That's not it. Five six one eight two five five. Let's go to Al. Hey, Al. Hey, Al. Hey there, how you doing? Doing great. What do you think? Gerald Ford holds a unique distinction in his political career that cannot be said of any other politician. What is this unique distinction? He was the only one appointed because because Nixon resigned. Okay, it's more than that though, because there's uh, you're warm. You're you're warm. I'll, I'll give you another crack at it. You're warm, but there's more to it than that, because other people have done that yeah Lyndon B. Johnson for instance yeah. was appointed after uh, Kennedy was assassinated he, he he was the only one who came out of the house of representatives and appointed that's not it but I tell you, you what you're all over it you're all over it Al you're, you gave uh, you gave Tom a big hint Tom's up next hey Tom hey Tom hey, how you doing good Gerald Ford holds uh, a unique I, distinction I need, what is it yeah this is the only trivia I know about him is that he was the only person who became president that was never elected president. Is more to it than that. Yep, a little more. There's more to it than that. You're warm, but a little Because, again, well, that he, w- he did he, 
he did go to that school north of Ohio State that nobody talks about. Uh, no, this has, this has to. <laughs> yeah, he was a Wolverine, wasn't he? No, that's not it. You're that's warm, correct. but again, Lyndon Johnson wasn't elected to the presidency, and uh, he was president. So. Five six one eight two five five. Let's go to Doug. Now these guys are all warm, Doug, but they're missing it by just a hair. Here's a hint, Doug. Appointed, he was. Are, are you there? I'm here. Uh, he was appointed, but he had shortest term. That's not it. No, that is not it. The other two guys were all uh, over. Yeah, five six one eight two five five. That opens up some lines. Five six one eight two five five. Mike. Hey, Mike. Come on, Mike. Hey, hey. How you doing, Tom? Good. Do you think Good. you know what it is? Uh, you want yeah. a hint? Do you want yeah, a hint? I think I, I think I know, but the one thing, Johnson was elected. He was elected in 64, being Humphrey. Oh, he was, yes, but uh, yeah, 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 initially. Right. Uh, yeah. That's true. That's yeah, you're true. right. That's true. Okay. All right, but what what do you think? I think he was the only president that was not president or vice president that ascended to the president. That there is it. He was never elected as vice president because of Spiro Agnew or the presidency because of Richard Nixon. Way to go, Mike. Good Hang time. on there. we got to take another break, but uh, you are our winner. We'll get all your information and uh, get you those gift certificates. Stay with us. Vinny and I will be right back. Back to News and Views. Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. Congratulations to Mike Kate, um, Hashmere, who uh, got our political trivia right. Gerald Ford is the only person to serve as the president and the vice president without having been elected to office. And again, we could have taken the answer, you know, prior to Biden becoming the presidency, he was also the only president who would trip up and down the steps to Air Force <laughs> One. But, three times. He did it three times. But Joe Biden has uh, taken that distinction away from Gerald Ford. <laughs> so, you know, Gerald Ford, um, what was his wife's name? Betty. Betty Ford. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, friends of ours met them out in um, Vail, Colorado, where he retired after mm. he uh, was the president. They, they, I don't know if they lived full time out there, but a good friend of my wife lived out there. And when her kids were little... Uh, he said they were the nicest people. They'd, they'd seen them out on the ski slopes, and they'd hold their kids and talk to their kids. And uh, Anyway, it was apparently very, very kind people. Played football at the University of Michigan. He did. He did, and got hit in the head a few too many times, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a knock on Gerald, but he did. Uh, he, he was uh, running back, wasn't he? Come on, man. Mm. I don't well, remember. Well, yes, I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah, you got hit too many times in the head, too. Is that why you— all up and down the steps. Just uh, just wondering. By the way, did you see the uh, press release? I know you did because you sent it to me from Senator Berger today that uh, the uh, Leon- uh, Leonardo um, controversy about spending money on schools. Oh, the yeah. Le- Lorand- uh, Lorand- uh, Leandro. Leandro, is that how you pronounce it? Where, where somebody from California determined how much we should spend in North Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. And apparently the uh, Roy Cooper administration is on both sides of the issue. They're paying for these people to come in and demand that we pay the money, but they're also acting as the defense in the case. A a, a totally, total malfeasance, as you might imagine. And this was reported by not a liberal public, by a more, not a conservative publication. Hey, uh, we got to run. We'll do it again tomorrow. And by the way... 
Greg Murphy will be on with us tomorrow, and uh, look forward to talking to him. We'll see you. Bye-bye, everybody.